0: sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve evolve with people people as they grow and change? change.
1: Even though it's coming from a place of deep authenticity and I want you to honor yourself and make the ask, but we also need to honor that the other may have no idea that this giant homework assignment is coming their way Mm -hmm. and may now swell to fit a lot of the space that they had previously assigned to other intellectual and physical Mm -hmm. fun. (laughs)
2: Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast for those who are challenging the status quo in love, sex and relationships. My name is Effie Blue and today I don't have much of a voice for recording. Alas, we have an episode to make so we persevere. The good news is today's guest and I recorded our conversation at a time where I didn't sound like a robot from outer space So, bear with me for a few minutes before we dive into a super interesting discussion about what happens when the subject of our desire doesn't share the rest of our desires. In other words, how do we communicate and negotiate with our partner or partners when we want different things? To talk through this with me, I've asked one of our favorite guests to come back on the show.
1: I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, and I am an asex certified
2: sex educator who loves to talk about sexual shadow. As always, we find it super helpful to take things to the basics and build from there. So we started with talking about desire itself.
1: I think of desire as like, you know, there's the verb, right? To really strongly want something. But then there's the noun, right? Like desire. I have a desire. We we can talk about a desire. And the reason I like to start there is I can have a longing and this, this strong desire to have And that's active. But sometimes I just have this fantasy that's kind of sitting there and I want it to happen. And I find that just noticing that sometimes I have these, these fantasies, these noun desires Mm -hmm. that have been sitting around a long time. I don't always want to have those happen, but sometimes I've had them so long that I imagine I have to want, keep wanting them. So I just sort of sort for people, the idea that you should periodically go through your desires. And really mm-hmm. feel into them. Is this an active, verb-oriented, like, I want to act on this? Or is this more of a, yeah, it is theoretically a desire, say, to attend an orgy or to participate in some particular sex act. Mm-hmm. Because it might not be alive in you right now. So I want you to get close to your, your living desires. What, like, what's alive for you right now? Because that's where desire mismatch gets messy, mm. is what do I want right now. I think of a desire mismatch as being anytime two people want either different amounts or different types of things. Let's get serious. Sometimes people come in with desire mismatch or desire discrepancy. And it's really just, they've, they boiled it down to one of us wants more sex. One of us wants less. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think of amounts and types. So if you want different kinks or you have different types of sex acts, that's a, that's a type Issue versus an amount issue. Mm -hmm. It all gets kind of nuanced in my world, in my practice, because most of the time the desire mismatch, the the real issue is that we're having trouble communicating with each other and then problem solving together how we'll get our desires met. Like, what what will we do about them? So I,
0: I like to really tease these things apart. Sure. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And then what are some of the, So obviously how much sex we want is an obvious one, right? That kind of is, is, is the one that comes up. What other ways can this mixed desires can manifest in what areas? So huge one, like the whole huge area of, are you kinky? Right.
1: <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and of course kink is what you think it is. There is no, there's no external body that is going to validate your kinks as being kinky and somebody mm. else's life as being vanilla. But differences here, if you take any given two people and say, who's the kinky one? Often there is a distinct difference and you've already sort of identified in yourself that there's this difference. So different types of acts that people want to participate in, different roles people want to play in their sexual and sensual scenarios, different ways that people want to enact their romances because the other thing is our relationship style like having Mm. a different relationship style desire. Do Mm. I want monogamy and my partner wants an open relationship? Do I want to be more in a swinging lifestyle where we're having sexual connections? My partner really wants kitchen table polyamory where we have Mm. deep, long-lasting emotional connections. Mm. Those are all really valid places where, yep, there's a desire mismatch and it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not compatible, but Mm. it doesn't necessarily not mean that Either, Mm -hmm. So we really have to stay present to the fact that this is a, it is a question that feels like opening a can of worms for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. Like, oh, do I really want to look there? So I, oh, the other big one that comes up for me is orientation, I think is worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. Plenty of people discover their sexual orientation later in life. And so Mm -hmm. they may have married someone, maybe they married into a heterosexual marriage. And then later they're Mm -hmm. like, you know what, actually I'm bi or I'm gay. And now, now what do I do? Because we may still love this person we're with, but Mm -hmm. we discover our orientation. Now we're in a mixed orientation situation. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for us? Those are the big ones that
0: come up for me. As I was listening to you, that came up for me is sometimes we don't even realize that we might have mixed desires, right? I noticed it a lot. I'm sh- I'm sure you do as well. Like I, I'll have clients come to me and say, we both thought we wanted to be non-monogamous. People even say we both thought we wanted to be polyamorous. And yeah. they're like, so elated with the idea that they found this other person who's saying, I want to be polyamorous as well. And then they dive into it and, you know, in closer examination, they're like, Oh, you want your, you want your polyamory to look this way. Oh, I want my polyamory to look this way. And even though it might feel like you're aligned in the detail, you might be mixed. Yeah. Or you can experience that as like,
1: that could be the growth Of your relationship, Mm. because the two of you come together feeling aligned, you may give yourself more permission to explore more deeply. So, even Mm. if you've been non monogamous for a while, you may find a particular partner helps you create a sense of embodied safety. You explore more deeply. So, Mm. I find people even way into their journeys can experience this sort of parting of ways like, Mm. oh, I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm developing. That's Mm. normal. And Mm. some of those developmental. Phases that we go through lead us to not be compatible in the same way we were, and so we have to figure out what that means for us. Mm. That's complicated, and you know we've also we've been talking about a lot of things that have to do with sex and romance in a sort of strict way. But it's worth saying that regular interests, interests that don't have anything to do with sexuality, interests in how I want to spend my my time, thinking. Mm. Uh, playing, what I want to do, how I want to earn my money. All of those things can also, mm-hmm. they can also add into our feeling of being in a mismatch. So I, I don't want to take the conversation so far astray from our core of desire, but those things do tend to also creep in because if we start feeling desire mismatch, a lot of times we'll start looking for the pattern of where else am I mismatched with this person? Sure. And sometimes we reveal very, like, very big gaps like, oh, we don't intellectually match. We mm. don't match in our hobbies. We don't match in our financial goals. Oh, oh. <laughs> mm. And that can be a real, that can be a real moment of like reflection on, is this the right relationship right now for me, even if it was mm. great in the past? Sure. And desire mismatch can sort of wake that up for some of us and start sure. reflecting on the bigger picture.
0: Sure. So then I'm seeing like two kind of types, if you will, To maybe we can talk about it in two different ways. One is... Desire mismatch kind of earlier on in the relationship where you kind of maybe you met somebody, you get on in so many ways and there's like one area, even maybe in the beginning you negotiated, oh, you're kinky, I'm kinky, you know, you get to it and their kink is impact play and your kink is purely psychological right. and then you're like, ah, you know. And then, and I want to talk about how do you deal with that? And then the other version I'm hearing is kind of almost growing into the mismatch, the growing into the mixed desires, kind of, you know, um, having almost like a fork in the road and growing apart, maybe if we don't manage it really well. So I, I imagine those two things we handle differently. Yeah. I think that it is, it's so
1: important to name that our relationships ideally are helping us grow. And when we grow that phrase growing apart, well, Another way to put that would be that you are differentiating from mm. another human being, right? That can mm-hmm. be incredibly powerful psychological work. So mm-hmm. if, I, if I come together with you and I experience, oh, we're both, we both identify as kinky. Great, cool. There's a label that maybe has helped me feel like I can explain myself to others. Mm-hmm. But now as I start to get to know you and how you enact your kink, how your kink works for you, how you talk about it, how you play with it, Now I feel my difference from you. And I don't think we get deeply into this conversation very often, right? Mm -hmm. Feeling how I am different from you, that differentiation of self and other, that is the very beginning of doing the work of your bigger picture individuation, Mm -hmm. really becoming who you are in a full way. And the differentiation that we do early in relationships can feel different from later, Mm -hmm. But it's so, it's so important. It's one of the reasons non-monogamy can be really exciting for people because they get a chance to differentiate from multiple others. And now I'm noticing, oh, this isn't just that I'm different from say, so I happen to be married to my anchor partner. I'm not just different from him. I am now dating somebody who I'm also really different from. Oh, and I have this friendship that I'm, oh, I'm really different from her. And I notice this deepening as my relationships evolve. It also stops me from demonizing the other because in non-monogamy, we can ha- it can help us resist the temptation to say, I'm different from you. And that means either I'm bad, something's wrong with me, or you're bad, something's wrong with you. It's, I found the same thing to be true when I had multiple children. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, they're just all weird in their own special ways. And that <laughs> helped me release myself from them needing to be any particular mm-hmm. way. It really helps to have a whole passel of them. In fact, to do
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Now I know you have seven children. Is that? Do I have I seven? Yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: Brave soul. <laughs> it, it's it's very similar though to the feeling of like recognizing the the massive differences that there are across mm. any given relationship constellation. I want to include our friendships in there. Like sure noticing how we're different is this huge opportunity real it's Mm -hmm. such a wonderful opportunity to relax our grip on what should be like how we should be or how the other should be Mm -hmm. and realize that there is this massive um multiplicity of ways Mm -hmm. to exist in the world so important
0: yeah no absolutely i i can't i can't agree with you with you more. And I think it's, it's that opportunity and looking at that opportunity, like you said, as a, as a point of growth, as a point of evolution, as a point of insight, self inquiry, I think that's, that's where the the magic happens, right? Like, yeah. cause I can also see the more you notice these differentiations that I can see a version of this where you get smaller and smaller, and grip tighter and tighter, right? Yes. And I think probably what I imagine the work is like actually bravely like courage, like Brené Brown talks about it a lot, like bravely going into these moments and relaxing into it and looking at it as a point of growth and expansion, right? The the, the words I see coming up for me is expansion. Like you expand to accommodate, to to tolerate. And then I think from that place, then love and celebrate, right? That's yeah. like, that's, that's where the the magic is. That's where the, the potential is, is what I see. Absolutely.
1: That's it. It's, it's shifting. It may be toleration at first, and then Mm. hopefully we can move into appreciation, into Mm -hmm. celebration. Yes. All to that. And, and it is profound self work because, so when I talk about desire mismatch, I usually ask people to identify, do they identify as the person in any dyad, any, any coupling, the person who wants more the person who wants less or the person who wants different right mm-hmm. because those there's different internal there's different self talk that comes up mm-hmm. and that's where you get to do your work right mm-hmm. if you uh, if you're getting messages inside that you're too much or too needy or too slutty or too something mm-hmm. great like i don't want you to have that message but i do want you to listen and understand that you just found an avenue of your psychological work there's mm-hmm. where your work lies. Mm-hmm. If you are a want less person in this particular coupling, you might think of things like I'm not enough mm-hmm. or I'm prudish or I'm disappointing, mm-hmm. not worthy, unworthy. Yeah, that's there's an invitation into your mm-hmm. work. And if and if you are the person who wants something different, like you want a different kind of play, a different type of relationship, especially if it's a little off the beaten path, you might have internal voices saying things like you're weird, no one else is going to want you, you're perverted, Mm. something's wrong with you. Every single one of those is a very painful awakening into some curiosity about what if those messages are a really harsh way to put the fact that you are unique, you are individual, and, and you need to come more closely into contact with who you are. Mm -hmm. It's not the most pleasant way to get to that work, but it's a really common way. So I'm glad we're talking about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I also imagine that to be experienced on both sides, right? As I'm coming into my truth in this, like your violent crash into reality, (laughs) your violent crash into your truth, that I think you're in in that moment, also the other person is experiencing you in a certain way too, because they're experiencing change and evolution in you that they may not even see coming or they don't want or it scares them as well. So this is a process that can be difficult for all parties. Right. And when we sense mismatch
1: with partners, it tends to put us into a either a fear state or a numb state, right? Like if it's actually too much to even feel that we don't even want to be in the fear, we might go numb. So anytime we notice a desire mismatch, one of the opportunities is to simply notice it. Just be with the fact like, "Oh, This is different. And to remember that just because it feels really loud in a moment doesn't mean that it is like a profound part of our relationship even. Sometimes a desire mismatch happens because of a a brief fluctuation in our mental health status, in our hormonal balance, in the complexity of our stress. It could be that. And that can be a way to actually come closer into connection with a partner like, oh, I'm, I'm going through it. And that's a different thing altogether from, oh, we are profoundly different humans. And now I'm recognizing this about you. And as I come to recognize that, now I'm, I'm experiencing my own fear. I'm experiencing having to contemplate whether this relationship is the right fit. Those are very different things to go through. Both are really useful things to experience in relationship. And none of them necessarily mean that we have to end things. Nor do they mean that we have to put up with things. Because that's where I think we get into tender. The idea that desire mismatch needs to just be shoved aside. Like, oh, well, this is what I signed up for. So I just have to deal.
0: Absolutely. And that's exactly where I want to steer this conversation. We noticed, let's say we noticed the desire mismatch, the mixed desires. And how do we differentiate uh, between... These, this is relevant information and I need to make a decision on whether this person that I want to, carry, you know, this person that I've invested maybe, I don't know, three, six months into this relationship, whether this person is, this relationship is, makes sense to keep investing and exploring, you know, this relationship is maybe a place of discovery and growth and evolution and healing, right? Because it can be that... Or it's like, look, it's, we have incompatibility. It doesn't mean that we're bad people. We're just not compatible. Right? Like, how do we know if this is the right partner choice for us? And on the other side, how do we know when it's time to let the relationship evolve into maybe friendship or like, you know, how do we transition? When do we decide are we transition out of a relationship? Well, I think there's a
1: core question underlying all of that. And the core question for me comes from so the the depth psychologist James Hillman it's one of my favorite questions he ever asked in all of his work it's which problem would you like to have like <laughs> yes. and and he put it in an archetypal sense like if you think about all of the different like big archetypal problems humans have had through all of time mm-hmm. each of us is going to lay our soul at the altar of a different god right like sure. we're, yeah. we're going to be like I am willing... So for instance, I am really willing personally in my life to show up to the difference of age. And I know this because I frequently date partners who have a pretty distinct age difference with me. Clearly, I'm willing to be in that problem. Whereas I've had other seemingly small differences that I'm like, nope, obviously, I don't like that particular problem. So there's a beautiful moment of self-awareness that can come like where are you willing to sit with the discomfort and where are you just not? And I think it's different for literally everyone I talk to puts this differently like what are your what are your places? Like I wouldn't even say I'm tolerating when I when I think about say age difference for instance I'm not tolerating that. I am celebrating the hell out of it. I love it. it I find it really juicy and interesting. For somebody else, that might be something that they're like, okay, I can kind of manage this. I'm sort of dealing with it. And then you got to think about how much bandwidth do you have to work with this? And that bandwidth, you know, you were mentioning the time. There's the time investment that we have. Sure, that matters. You know, if I've got three months in, six months in, often I'm working with people who have 25 years into a relationship. So now they're thinking about all this time that they've invested versus the unknown. And time's only one of the pieces of the puzzle. There's also all of my financial investments, the obligations I might have with someone. Also, how hard was it for me to connect with this person? I just recently ended a relationship with somebody that I'm like, darn, it was really hard for us to figure out how to connect. And when we finally did, like, do I really want to, do I really want to end it just because we have this one place of of mismatch? I'm actually still sitting with that because I'm like, is this an ending or are we reimagining? What, mm. are, what are we doing here exactly? What's happening? Yeah. I don't think that there's one answer, but I do think that we have to consider many places, like many different axes mm-hmm. of bandwidth, right? Not just one, For not sure, just time, right? but also how much stress you can tolerate. Mm-hmm. What, what does this trigger in you? Sure. Like, is this touching your attachment stuff? Well, if it's touching your, all of your attachment stuff and you've been saying, hey, I really want to do my attachment work, mm-hmm. maybe not walk away. Maybe maybe if somebody's Mm -hmm. triggering all your attachment stuff and you've been saying to your therapist for three years, yeah, I really want to do this work. Maybe this person's here for a reason. Mm -hmm. And for somebody else, he might be like, oh no, this is a poor fit. I do not want to work on this. This is not an area of me. I am up for that's up for debate. Mm -hmm. So it really is time to say, transition the relationship into something else or to let it end
0: because endings are not bad. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, there is that nuance, right? I think there are definitely these relationships that challenge you in a, in a way that promotes growth. And I think there are relationships that challenge you in a way that stifles you because you can't grow in survival mode. Like if you're right. not getting a breath, if you're not finding your feet and it's like challenge after challenge after challenge, yes, maybe it's where the work is, At the same time, you need an environment to be able to to do that work. And you can't do that when you're just trying to survive. If you're like emotionally just focused on your next breath, you're not gonna be focused on, you know, how I have be a better communicator, how I can, you know, work with my nervous system. So I think it's it's like sweet spot of Mm -hmm. what is the right amount of challenge that feels good so I can grow versus um I can't. You know, right. for the last few years since COVID, I've kind of moved to a rur- rural area and I'm growing things. And I'm it's an endless learning process, just like how things grow. And for a seed, it is really that it's really that simple. Like how much soil you put on top, you need some to give it resistance so it grows, grows strong out of a seed. And if it's too much, it just won't make it to the surface. Right. And if it's too little, it makes a disservice and dies because it hasn't put up enough of a fight to give it <laughs> the, to, to give it like the, the roots that it needs to then, then deal with the harshness of above soil. You know, right. Existence is harsh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, I, and that's kind of what makes me uh, the, uh, this conversation is really making me think about that. Uh, right. We need that resistance. We need that challenge but ju- just right. <laughs> just the, yeah, there is a Goldilocks zone there, right? Like there, there really is. I think,
1: so my, my anchor partner often describes his first marriage as having been so easy. It was, it was dangerous because mm. he just coasted. They, they just settled in and the whole, then the goal became to keep it easy, to mm. keep everything easy. So yeah, there was no resistance and therefore no growth. Mm-hmm. So when I started dating him when he was 43, he was like a child in some ways mm-hmm. because he'd spent 20 years not having to do any real emotional growth. Everything was just okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I am a big proponent of finding your sweet spot and your sweet spot now, right? It, there, mm-hmm. there may be may, many reasons why you need things to be easier, more, you know, more sunshine, a little less water, you know, you, know, you you might need to change the mix. But if we're talking about relationships, I think it's it's really important to, to see is the person I'm in connection with, are they actually showing up to this too? Or am I doing all of the work? Because yes, it is personal growth work. My relationship is a container for my relational individuation and it's a relationship. And I can always change my side of the street. But if I'm in a relationship where I am constantly working on our desire mismatch just from my side and my partner is not interested in showing up to the the puzzle of this then that calls into question whether you could even have the right amount of resistance or or the right amount of support because if they're just not present to it or the thing i'm hearing more and more recently is things should just naturally unfold mm-hmm. if it's not naturally unfolding then i'm just not interested <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> <I can't really laughs> like just stop now <laughs> yes, yes. Please, <laughs> dogs and rainbows for everyone <laughs> right like and and it's so antithetical to the idea of growth That is not how I raised my children either. Like (laughs) did not just puppy dogs and rainbows them every day. So I think it's important to to note that your partner really does need to be willing to show up. Any given dyad is going to be made of two people, right? And you could have many of them intersecting, all Mm -hmm. having multiple relationships at the same time. But if one person in a whole polycule even is just like, nope, I don't do relationship work. I'm not interested in listening to things taking your opinions. I'm not interested in having relationship check-ins. I'm not interested in having agreements that are thought out. And nope, I just want to live. I just want to be. Then any mismatch is likely to be something you need to deal with. Now, so that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you feel a mismatch. That's your thing. I don't, I don't feel a problem. I just don't feel it. Mm-hmm. That's where from to, to my mind, that's where it's not generally going to be worth the investment mm-hmm. to keep going because you will have to then be smaller. You will mm-hmm. have to change in ways that then can align with this person who's not willing to intentionally adapt, grow, learn with you, negotiate about how, what you might do differently, and all of mm-hmm. those are options, but you can't do them alone. It's a relationship.
0: Right, right, no, for sure. And going back to what you're saying about not like unfold naturally. I think we assume in that statement that naturally means easy. And when yeah. you look at nature, and I, like I said, I've been spending a lot of time in nature. Nature is not easy. No, it's cruel. It's harsh. It's beautiful. And it's, you know, grueling at the same time. So I think when people say it should just unfold naturally, you're like, yeah, this is, how, this is what that looks this like. This is okay. nature. <laughs> Welcome to the
1: party. Yeah. I grew up on a, on a working farm, so not no. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's complicated
0: yeah for sure absolutely the, that that's the thing that comes up me and the other thing is recently i've been sitting a lot with um something that gabor mate has been saying which is we put he talks about in the context of, of children but i think we do that in adult relationships too that we put people in a position where they have to choose between authenticity and belonging and in that moment, it's, th- those are really hard decisions. This is a conflict point that is very hard to negotiate. And I think this is also comes up when you have mixed desires, because I think the mixed desires, those desires are, are who we are. It's our authentic truth. And when we are put in a position where we have to choose that or we don't belong in this relationship, we're like loved, I think that's where the, the conflict is, right? This is essentially what we're trying to ultimately manage. Absolutely. And, and if you are walking around with like a, a core
1: wounded belief of I am unlovable or um, I am imperfect, or I I have to prove myself, I have to be, wor- I have to be worthy or I have to be useful. All of these like core wounded beliefs that can have occurred in us pre-verbally, we may not even have any idea why we walk around mm-hmm. with these Ugh, feelings, mm-hmm. but all of those are going to make it even more challenging to choose authenticity mm-hmm. it, because they make us really desperate for that sense of belonging. They make mm-hmm. us feel like we have to belong. And in some scenarios, belonging would actually be dangerous for mm-hmm. us. For sure. And yeah. and that's, this is, it's such tender work mm-hmm. to figure out where that line is. Yeah. And it's far be it from me. It is not for me to decide where the line is for anyone, for but sure. to really let yourself be in it you know, a lot of times when people come to work with me, they are either transitioning into non-monogamy or they've been non-monogamous, but feeling very unsuccessful by their own definitions. It's Mm -hmm. just not feeling good. And the thing that strikes me is frequently they, they really do have a core goal that is shared, right? They want Mm -hmm. to feel loved and safe while also being adventurous. You know, Mm -hmm. there's this like high, super high level goal, Mm -hmm. but then the way they actualize that leaves one of them feeling like they don't belong, like they're not chosen, like they're not safe, and the other one often feels hemmed in and not, and mm-hmm. and like they can't have adventure. So they still wind up in this place where they feel the difference, they feel the desire mismatch over and over again and they can't figure out how to reconcile it. And sometimes we're just not going to be able to reconcile it because mm-hmm. we don't we we don't even know how right now. And so then there's how long am I willing to stay in this in between? Right. How long is there? And sometimes people ask me, like, how long is the right, the right amount of time? But it's it's one of the reasons why when people work with me, I'm like, minimum a year. I need a year for you to, to explore what works for you, which doesn't mean you have to stay together for a year. Mm-hmm. But if you want to actually explore the question of what you want and how you want to negotiate it, I encourage people to give themselves much more time than most people would like to imagine it takes. Right
0: because the uh, the answers aren't clear and most often than not people's intellectual solutions or desires don't always match their emotional reactions right? right and i think you need like it takes time for those things to align
1: right especially if you're adapting paradigms like if you're mm-hmm. somebody who's considered yourself vanilla for a long time you're like i'm pretty satisfied with that but your partner introduces kink and you're like well Wait a minute. I actually don't even know what kink is. Mm-hmm. Well, how much time do you need to allow yourself to come into contact with what the vast, you know, world of kink could be? And then how much time do you need to explore what could work for you and what couldn't? That's it's not going to be a few days. It's mm-hmm. not going to be a few weeks. It probably isn't even going to be just a few months. You may have just been introduced to a huge opportunity for you to self-reflect. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you might be like, "Nope. Don't want to." I am just not interested in that. And Mm -hmm. I always think that the people who have a clear no are actually in the easiest position when it comes to desire mismatch. Like if you have a clear no, good. You have a clear no. Can you communicate it? Can your partner receive it? Awesome. It's actually where we're in that maybe space for ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. where it's tricky. If I'm in a maybe space, then it's a no for now. Good. We keep observing the no in the physical realm and what am I going to do? How am I going to educate myself, and how am I going to resource myself? Like, what am I going to do with my nervous system to make sure that I'm not just reacting out of pattern or reacting out of my the like the moral uh, certitudes that have been like placed mm-hmm. on me? Right? How do I allow space to consider what if? What mm-hmm. if? And usually, the initiating partner, the person who's like, I want this different thing they've already been thinking about it or wanting it for for probably years, maybe decades, maybe literally their entire life. And now they're like, okay, I finally said the thing. And they feel like they've crested the wave. They're like, I said the thing. Yay! yeah, your partner's going to need time now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The impatience that follows that, yeah, that revelation is... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and so there's so much patience and that's why I, I recommend get yourself into a process. Like mm-hmm. allow yourself to come into some kind of structured process so that you aren't just like, okay, now I'm just waiting. Like essentially standing in the corner of the room, tapping your foot. Like I said it, can't you just get on board now? Mm-hmm. Even if you're, trying to be patient it can feel like that to the partner who was like what did you say you want to be poly what you Mm -hmm. (laughs) you want to play what kind of role-playing games like they may need to do so much self-education and by the way they didn't sign up for that like Mm -hmm. they didn't they weren't inspired so now they have to decide they have to make the decision okay i'm going to decide to be in this wonder, in this curiosity. And then they need to figure out where it fits in their life. Okay, where do I make time to all of a sudden be listening to podcasts and reading books or going to a club and trying something out? Or okay, now this is serious leisure. i got to figure out where that fits in my life. And we need to make time to have the conversations. It's a big ask. And I don't think we should at all undersell the bigness of that ask, even mm-hmm. though it's coming from a place of deep authenticity. And I want you to honor yourself and make the ask but we also need to honor that the other may have no idea that this giant homework assignment is coming their way Mm -hmm. and may now swell to fit a lot of the space that they had previously assigned to other intellectual
0: and physical Mm -hmm. fun. Right. Which, which they didn't sign up to, right. They're kind of coming to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is such a, is a, such a common situation that, that, that I deal with as well. And again, I'm saying this, for the listeners out there who I know are experiencing and be like, yes, this is a thing. This is a a very natural process that, that happens to a lot of people for sure. And then the other thing that, that came up for me as I was listening to you is the work that I do with my, with my clients as well is this idea that are you in purgatory? Are you in the process? Yes. Those are two separate states. You know, if the process we persevere, if it's purgatory, we stop and make decisions. Right. And you need to understand it could look the same. You need to dig dip in, to, d- dig deep to, to figure out where you're at, because those right. two states are very different from each other and they need different type of attention. Right. I think sometimes people can be in purgatory. Right.
1: And not even realize that that's right. where they
0: are. Exactly.
1: And I I find that a lot of times underneath that. So often I will work with people. I'll work with them coupled or in their relationship unit, and then I'll work with them privately as well. And in their private work, the deeper question is, are you taking any action or are you waiting and hoping this will all go away? Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. that's your underlying question is like, when will it get back to normal? If Mm -hmm. any of these phrases come up for you, you are probably currently in purgatory. And and if you aren't willing to actively step out of that into Mm -hmm. process, if you're like, no, 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 this is where I believe I get to stay. Yeah, then you're you're choosing to stay in that particular ring of hell. And I would not recommend staying there.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. There's a couple of things that come up for me that I imagine is going, going on with our listeners as well, which is some practical stuff around like what how do we approach our partner? If we notice a mixed desire. So like we now establish that what it can look like and how it, how it can manifest. And it's very normal and all the ways that people can, can handle it on a more of a practical level. You come to a point where you realize, you know, you, you, you have missed desires. What is a good way to approach your partner? Okay. So I would recommend first, don't do it at
1: a time when they cannot pause or walk away like if, if you trap them into that conversation, they're probably going to feel trapped. A lot of people bring these things up in long car rides. I was just going to say, don't
0: <laughs> do it in a car ride. <laughs> right?
1: I actually know somebody who was in a car accident because of this. Like the driver got really distracted. Yeah. So just don't. Like just just don't. Mm-hmm. Also, I wouldn't recommend after 8 p.m. <laughs> unless you happen mm-hmm. to be a third shift worker. Like, I would mm-hmm. recommend you you take care of the scenario. Like, what are the practicalities of when you bring this up? Can you both be in a space where you're decently well-resourced and can you have some privacy that that will allow you to have a conversation, an actual conversation and enough time to allow each other to maybe we'll need to take a pause. And digest. And like, so create the scenario that will allow for that. So I often recommend to people like we'll go through their calendar. Like, okay, when's the next weekend you have where you have, say, a Saturday morning and you know that you both have the weekend more or less to create for yourselves? Cool. Great. If you don't have that, when is the next time that you know you at least have a few hours before bedtime... Mm-hmm. when you can actually have a conversation. Ideally, when the ne- when one of you doesn't have a huge work presentation the next day. Really, it's the basics of like when that get to me first mm-hmm. because so mm-hmm. frequently people bring this up when they have waited so long that they're just bursting. Mm-hmm. And so it just comes out, it erupts. Mm-hmm. I recommend working against that sensation of eruption by allowing yourself to plan it, put it on your own calendar and mm-hmm. say like, okay, I'm making intentional space and time because that right there, sets the mood for what your partner's about to experience. Did you create intentional space and time for them to have feelings about this, for you to be with their feelings? Because that now, what you're asking of them is to now enter into a state of curiosity with you. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would recommend is try, if you can, to not make a super specific request, Mm -hmm. but instead ask them to enter into this place of curiosity. Mm -hmm. So if, let's say, it's about a kink, You might bring up kink and and a a broad genre of kink and say, I'm really interested in this. And I would love to explore it with you. We don't have to try it first, but could we, could we talk about it? Could we be in the conversation about it? And then maybe like move toward exploration or talking about where else I might explore it. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about polyamory, a lot of people experience this conversation as be like coming at them. Like, like now we have to do something. Mm -hmm. What if instead the conversation is I'm discovering this about myself I am not, I'm not going to rush to take action, but I would love to include you in my explorations. Can we enter into this as, as part of our growth together? Can we talk about this? Can we start listening to things together? Can we, can we join a a group that talks about this? Like it's a normal thing. Can we just Mm -hmm. get into that? Because there are so many opportunities for that those basic steps, that's what I recommend. I actually even pre-recorded a conversation for people who get really freaked out about bringing up open relationships. I pre-recorded a conversation. I'm like, if you're really freaked out, here's the instructions, play this conversation for them because the invitation to know you better is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But the eruption can feel like a bad thing.
0: Right. For sure. And I think the, the other key thing that I'm hearing you say is the inclusion. I think the biggest fear that that I, I see people on the other side is that, oh, this person is over here and I'm not invited. Right. And they're just going to do their thing. They've made this decision and for somehow I'm not included, I'm not invited. I've, the only thing I've been asked to do is to tolerate yeah, at best. Yeah. Um, and I think the way that, that you're framing it as, as to bring people into curiosity, which is something that we're always talking about as well. Is like, you know, it's the invitation, it's the, it's the inclusion, it's the, you know, it's the sense of belonging that you're enforcing as you embark on this journey, I think will have a huge impact in the way that the things f- uh, unfold as well, for sure. Okay, so that's how you bring things up. And then what are some of the sort of generic processes that people can go through to negotiate a potential mismatch? Okay, let me step back. What are some of the ways that people can um, manage the discovery phase, right? Because I think the way that I, you know, somebody brings it up, the other person's either a straight up no that you know, like high five to you. I'm sorry, but you are a no, you have clarity. Actually, it's good on the long run. You know, that's, that's an easy, what about the discovery phase? What is that? How do we engage with that curiosity, that discovery in a way that feels authentic and still pushing our boundaries to explore, yeah. We want to be at the stretchy edge of our growth zone, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like right
1: mm-hmm. at the stretchy edge, but we don't want to bust the elastic. Right. <laughs> we don't want that. You know, I think that there's, there's a lot of strength to, to deciding to invest some time mm-hmm. in doing some desire excavation and some solo exploration around this topic, mm-hmm. um, to let yourself, sort of come into the water at room temperature not to just mm-hmm. get the bucket of ice water <laughs> doused over you. So in other words, I I would recommend to anyone that they let themselves have a few hours of time to simply get some exposure. What is this even? Like really, what is it? What are the what what are people even talking about? So that's why I think podcasts like this are so helpful because, you know, you pick out a couple of great episodes about why someone might choose non-monogamy or what types of non-monogamy there are. Listen Mm -hmm. to those. Like that's a great introductory and you don't have to do that together. That can be on your solo time. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to manage this by taking some time to regulate my nervous system beforehand. And if you Mm -hmm. don't have tools for that, this is a good time to get some. Regulate (laughs) your nervous system. Then do some learning, do some listening, do some watching. And then regulate your nervous system during and after too. Like allow yourself to come into contact with this when you're not feeling the pressure of your partner's eyes on you. Mm -hmm. Like, do they like it? Do they like Mm -hmm. it? When I think about kink, it's particularly interesting because I think like, you know, so you turn on a particular genre of pornography and all of a sudden, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. now I feel like, oh, my part. now my partner's not watching the porn. Now they're watching me to see if I'm turned on. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of pressure. Sure. And doesn't necessarily let me come into authentic contact with where my yeses and no's are. Mm -hmm. So allowing yourself time to excavate your desire and see what's Mm -hmm. there for you. Because we're all going to be introduced to stuff in different ways, different times with different people. Mm -hmm. And it could be that you've just struck upon something that's a rich vein of yes for you. Or if you have that time to explore, you might find that you have... Maybe you have a counter offer. Maybe that your partner brought you something. And you're like, well, so maybe they brought you polyamory. And you're like, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to explore. I explore. I learn some language. I learn some ideas. I'm a no to that for now. But maybe you're willing to explore some polysexuality. Maybe you're mm-hmm. willing to go explore some, some openness around your sensuality. Maybe you're willing to explore deepening some of the current friendships you have. What are you available for? But giving yourself some time to do that. While also, and here's the trick to staying, I think, in your growth zone, setting a, a time limit for yourself to have to mm. stay in that. Because if, if it's just an endless slog of keep exploring until it feels good, then you're probably getting what feels like an ultimatum from your partner. What mm. feels like, okay, you have to get on board. So just keep exposing yourself until you're on board. I think it's okay to draw your boundary. <laughs> Mm. Like your own for your own reasons. Yes. How much time are you willing to invest, and how long are you willing to stay in this place of exploration? And then watch out for those signs that you've slipped into purgatory.
0: I love that. I think that's a that's definitely a great way to structure it. And then the next thing that I would say, maybe also suggest, is sometimes with this kind of work, people get so entrenched in it, it becomes the only topic of conversation. Oh yes,
1: yep. Especially if they're if they're getting pushed. that like and now it it swells I always say polyamory will swell to fit literally every space (laughs) every space in your life it's like that great stuff that you jam in and like (laughs) yeah yeah Uh Yeah. and so can you engage in in your in the rest of your life still and that's that's one of the reasons why I like structured processes Mm -hmm. to explore because um, so if people are working with me, I'm like, okay, I want you to set aside the time to come to class and, the t- and a time to have a, an individual time to be with the material and then mm-hmm. a time to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You don't actually need to have it be every day all the time. And if you do, most likely that will start to feel like pressure to conform mm-hmm. or pressure to release this desire. It, mm-hmm. Like that could go in either direction because sure. it's just starting to feel like, oh, we don't have anything else in our life. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a really tough spot, though, because when you're really interested in something, desire, I mean, desire begets desire, like it, it multiplies itself. It's so intensifying. So yeah. it can be hard. To, to sure. not have it swell up.
0: <laughs> yeah. And if you resist it, persist. Like that's the other thing. Like the more right. pushback, the more resistance you have, the more the desire grows and like you just get so engrossed in it. And and maybe maybe you wouldn't so much if there wasn't so much resistance. Right. Right. Oh, totally.
1: The number of people I I hear who say, like, well, I thought I had an idea, but now I'm
0: obsessed with it. <laughs> Yes, yeah, exactly. Now I'm obsessed, <laughs> right? So I think that's that's the keeping things soft. Um, I think is also maybe a good way to handle the whole process as a tone of keeping it soft, keeping it open, keeping it flow, curious, and 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 of course we should always honor our boundaries. I think also just realize like the resistance also has a, a counter a counter reaction, right? Um, and to manage those as well. Okay, so we talked about how we can approach our partners. We talked about how to manage the sort of discovery and exploration phase. What are some tips for negotiation? Oh, I love negotiation. <laughs> yes. I love it so very
1: much. So I, I am all for compassionate negotiation. And some of those tips are the same as what I mentioned, when you are setting up to introduce an idea, like mm-hmm. set the scene negotiation is in some ways a formal process. And I find a lot of people want to keep all their agreements verbal. And they're just like, we're just in a long conversation. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, then it probably actually takes a lot more time than it would if you let it have some formalization. But also, like, it doesn't let you set a, a gentle scene for actually being in the, in the discovery of what are we going to do together. What like what are we actually agreeing to do? So if I'm negotiating, I want to set up that scene, set it up for a good conversation, also set a bound so that the conversations... My gosh, they always turn into these 8-hour, 12-hour conversations. I, what I say is... You, so you set the timer on your phone, mm-hmm. then you go take your phone and you put it in the other room because you want to mm-hmm. be able to hear it, but you don't actually want your phone near you to distract you. So mm-hmm. both and. Mm-hmm. And then when you enter into negotiation start with gratitude. Like you showed up to a negotiation. You are already uh, head and shoulders above what most people are doing in their relationships. Like remember that just being in the negotiation is a big deal. So if we share that gratitude verbally, actually start mm-hmm. off on that ground goes a long way and then decide the scope. What are we negotiating about? Mm-hmm. I want you to actually write the scope down on a piece of paper yes. and I want you to have another piece of paper. So I usually get two pads of paper out. One is the scope and I write it down and then we're going to make any notes about what we're doing. What, like, what are we actually agreeing on? And the other is a parking lot. What are, what's coming up that does, it's important. It's not, that it's not important. Maybe we unearth some grief work we need to do. Maybe there's an apology ladder that needs to be followed who all sorts of stuff, but a parking lot for that stuff so that the person who's feeling it doesn't feel discounted, but so that we can stay in actual negotiation about the topic. Cause this is another way it swells to fit all the space because when it comes up, the more resistant partner may slightly change the topic and now we're actually talking about something else but it feels like oh like so every time we talk about polyamory we never actually talk about polyamory we wind up talking about all this other stuff use the one technology i know will actually work which is a pencil and paper
0: <laughs> yes yes the one technology that works every time absolutely and and the other thing that i had to a process like that is once that alarm clock goes honor it like it's done. time you know and uh what i recommend is what i call a state change mm. go and move to another room go for a walk go and get a, a water you know lie on the floor like just just change the state to yes. let your nervous system mind know that we are done with it today and we will get yeah. back to it but it is a done process and that state change i find helps people because especially if the negotiation was particularly hard we're not we're not robots we're not digital machines like the the, yeah. the nervous system and the mind it can be so hard to to let it go and you know be patient or get to the to the next state. So plan it in. It could be sim- I tell people just go and get water. Go and go for a right. walk around around your house, like cross the road. If you don't, it doesn't have to be anything major, but just some sort of state change that tells your nervous system that tells your body we're done for now. Yeah, we completed that. It's right. that I love
1: that so much, and I love the simplicity of calling it a state change because I think when we talk about regulating your nervous system a lot of people imagine that I mean something really big, but Mm -hmm. I mean really small things. Yes. (laughs) Get a drink of water. If you had a really, like if I had a really, really successful negotiation, I'm probably going to go break out the Teddy grams and have a few, like I don't, (laughs) whatever it is, I want to celebrate that. And so that state change can be for positive, like positive negotiations as well. I love that framework.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's, that's good. So, okay. So we negotiated. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving this, this process. In an ideal world, we negotiated and we found some common ground where we feel that we are both seen and heard and honored in our desires. And, and people are invested, you know, continue to invest in the relationship. There's growth and discovery and evolution built into it. And we're in good, right? We've, we've done our work. It's probably going to be an ongoing process, but the paths are kind of weaving in and out of each other, not weaving yeah. away from each other. So that's the ideal world. What if we cannot find common ground that is obvious? Yeah. What then? I ask people to,
1: when we're, when we're doing this work over a period of time, I actually ask them to take a, a step before they're in the negotiation process mm-hmm. that will help them navigate this. I ask them to get clear on what their joint decision-making policy is, mm. like, What do you have to come to mutual decision? Like is is your policy in this relationship that we come to a mutually beneficial solution before we move forward and take action? Or do you tend to have more autonomy? And if we do have autonomous decision-making, then in what areas? And I I ask you to be really clear about that because a lot of people think that they have one or the other.
2: And Mm. that can lead
1: to a breakdown when we get to a negotiation where we're like, we didn't actually get anywhere. If I think that we have a durable policy of of joint agreement but my partner thinks that we have a durable policy of autonomous agreement like i get to decide for me and and we will keep coming back to the table but i get to decide for me right there we probably have really different ways that we're going to act in -hmm. that moment Mm -hmm. so the conversation i need you to have before you negotiate is Mm -hmm. how do we agree to disagree Mm-hmm. Like, what will we do? And that's, that is complicated because for some people, agreeing to disagree means that we set a time on the calendar to come back to this conversation and reengage. That can be really healthy and useful for other people. It means that we're actually going to take a little time, a little space in this relationship to do things a little bit more independently, a little more autonomously, because we are not currently in a place to have this particular overlap. And depending on what your relationship structure is, that might be totally appropriate. Let's say Mm. we're not living together. We're not raising children together. It might be really appropriate to simply allow a little space. Even in my anchor partnership, where I do raise children and share a household with someone, sometimes we decide that agreeing to disagree doesn't have to mean there's no action moving forward. It may mean that we, we simply allow to honor our differences and be, and be sad about that and go do the grief work necessary to deal with the fact that I don't own my partner. Mm-hmm. I don't own their body. And I don't just mean about like, non-monogamy and how, who they have sex with. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I don't own their thoughts. Mm-hmm. They get to have these thoughts and feelings and I might need to do some work around that. Mm-hmm. So that's actually, I think, the most challenging piece of all mm-hmm. of the of navigating desire mismatches. How do we even understand how, to, how we agree to disagree? What, mm-hmm. what do we do? Because for some people, they're like, well, if we don't agree, then it's a deal breaker and we break up. But I think that there are actually a lot of shades of gray in there. Mm. We might find ourselves in alignment with either just holding, holding still, or with allowing separate action, or with finding some new time to revisit. And like, there are so many ways that we might handle that.
0: Can we paint a picture, more of a specific picture, just so like an example of what would the autonomy being autonomous can look like. Because I think that's the most elusive to, to most people. I think coming into a common consensus kind of makes sense, right? Agreeing that that we're going to come back and revisit this topic also makes sense. You just shelve it, you find new time, you come back, you just rediscuss. Ideally, in the meantime, you educate yourself, you expose yourself, you do the work, and then you come back to the table to renegotiate. So I feel like those two states are somewhat clear. I feel like this idea that we're going to agree to disagree in that we honor these, these differences and somehow find the way to, to hold it all. Can you, can we paint a picture of what that can look like? Maybe in sexuality, maybe in relationships, just something that so people can really visualize it. Yeah. I think it is
1: important to keep it in the realm of sexuality because it's a place (laughs) where, you know, I think most of us understand that we can allow each other, like say professional autonomy, but mm-hmm. then we struggle when it gets into the the particulars of our romantic mm-hmm. or sexual life. Mm-hmm. So I actually can use an example from my own life because mm-hmm. it's relevant. I went through a whole period of time where I had a partner who had a really intense desire for a particular type of kink. It was incredibly triggering for me. Um, I, I found it confusing as well as triggering. I didn't even know what it was waking up for me. So even though, even as a sex educator, I was like, ooh, I, I know this is my work to do. Like I, I, was, I was self-aware to be like, oh, you get to have that kink, but it was very triggery. We were in a place to have the conversation about like, well, how much autonomy do we have here? And how that played out was me re- recognizing that in my value system, it was more important that I grant my partner their agency, that I return their agency to them over and over again. So in the face of my deep discomfort not just around me participating in this kink, but the idea that he was going to participate in this kink. If I wanted to to stay in my own ethical alignment, right? Like what I had pre-decided was right Mm -hmm. for me, then it was up to me to decide to say, you can explore this with other people. And I'm going to work on my own self-regulation. And I'm going to hold this boundary. I don't want to hear stories about it. And I don't want to see calendar invites come through where you like try to maybe pressure me to come attend these events that would be triggery. I don't want to see this. So I set my boundaries, but I returned his agency and said, you, you get to go explore this. This is not for me to decide whether you explore this. And here is my other boundary, which is if while you're playing in this way, you choose to have unprotected sex. I need you to tell me about that before we have unprotected sex again so that I can make decisions about how my body is treated. And it was interesting because that wasn't the outcome that he was looking for. He wasn't looking to have agency returned to him. He got really freaking scared because he wanted to explore this with somebody he already trusted. The idea of going out into the world and just finding some place to play with this particular kink was terrifying. He was not happy that I granted him his agency and autonomy mm-hmm. for a while. But it was important that I do that to be in integrity with myself. And because that let me now not stay in this constant negotiation that was actually about me forfeiting my boundaries mm-hmm. and overriding my no. So we, what we did was set a time to come back to it and say, I will revisit this. At the time, I was in a pretty stressful family situation. So I said, so when this is, when this family situation has come to a close, we knew there was a, there was a terminal diagnosis at that time. We knew that there would be a close, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I said, I can't tell you when, but I can tell you there will be a close. And when that happens three months after that, we can come back and revisit this issue. Mm -hmm. That's what we did Mm -hmm. in the intervening months. What I noticed was that my ability to grant him his autonomy loosened Mm. a lot of my fear around this kink. It is now Mm. one of my absolute favorite things in the whole wide world.
2: Wow. (laughs) What a
1: transformation. Okay. Eight years later, one of my favorite things in the whole world, in part because I was like, that's yours to explore. And I just relaxed my grip and I recognized how much power I had Mm. to, to stand in my truth and be like, do i want this do i not want this and through that then i started introducing myself to the idea started thinking about it over the course of like a year and a half mm-hmm. then like mm-hmm, started mm-hmm. thinking about it considering it and what i wound up with was yeah like my favorite thing to do ever
0: <laughs> wow yeah and i think that really speaks to the power of that letting go i think it's like the stronger we hold on to things the more acute we feel about them and and there's no room for growth and exploration and i think Do we grip harder when we are most scared? And again, that's not what growth is. And I think that that release can allow the space, that little bit of space that we need, to make room for curiosity when you grip so hard, there just isn't enough room for curiosity because all your energy is going through the gripping and, and that you don't, you feel like you're under siege that you have to hold on to it tighter. Like if you're in that headspace, it's just not going to change. And I think it's, um, it's a type of ignorance, you know, you just don't know and, and, and you just like grip hard. Right. And if you just let go, even just release a little bit, just, I always I talk about this, like we just need a slither of space. And then we'll work with that space. But we need to create that. It doesn't have to be big space. You don't have to change your mind immediately. We just need this little bit of space. Then you can use that as a leverage to then like, get in there and, um, right. and do some work. So absolutely. I love that. I love that. Julie, is there anything else? that you think that people should know? Like what, like we talked through the whole process. We talked about what it is and what it can show up like. We can talk about how to talk to our partners. What are some of the processes for discovery and negotiation? Uh, we talked about, you know, the result. How do we deal with the results? Uh, what are some of the ways that we can go forward? Is there anything else you're like... If I, if I, I, I do this sometimes with people, like if you met somebody at a bus stop and they said, Oh, I heard you talk talk about missed desires, Just give me one advice, oh. one piece of advice. What would be that one thing you're like, maybe something we didn't talk about that you think, Oh, like people should also know this. Is there anything like that, that comes up for you? Yeah,
1: I do. Okay. So this is a deep one. So it's not okay. like going back to the beginning, but okay. when we have desire mismatch, it may be, that what we've got is a, a really profound piece of unconscious material coming to the surface, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes our unconscious material becomes... A, we become aware of it because it, it erupts within us. Mm-hmm. It comes up from the inside. That's one way to experience. And that usually feels like we actually do have some sort of say over it. And sometimes our unconscious material... Is presented to us. The universe presents us an opportunity mm-hmm. in the form of other people.
0: <laughs> yes, thank so, you, universe. <laughs> yay!
1: I'm so thrilled. <laughs> yeah. And and that is that opportunity right there. Right. So what you have, what you have clarity on, is a no for you. Okay. I, I'm like I want to be really present to that, but there is often a huge bandwidth of curiosity, even repulsion, revulsion that also has an erotic charge to it Mm -hmm. that we maybe don't want to admit. And we definitely don't want to admit to our partner. If we're like, you brought this up and I am a, I am like grossed out mad at you. And I do all the things. And also I'm pulsing. (laughs) Damn. Okay. (laughs) You might have just stumbled upon some really profound psychological work for you. You don't have to pick it up, but if you want to, just remember that we will be delivered these different ways of knowing, not just from the inside. Sometimes that'll come from the outside. So your partner has given you the gift of introducing you to something that no, you did not ask for, but you are in relationship to them. And I happen to imagine the universe to be a place where there are meaningful coincidences and connections that happen all the time. You don't have to act on it, but you might choose to as part of your
0: growth process. Sure. Sure. Synchronicity is a thing, right? It is a thing. Absolutely. Julie, it's always a pleasure. It is always a pleasure. I love having these conversations with you. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. And I don't doubt for a second that we'll invite you back soon. I really really appreciate your time and your wisdom and um, all that you share with us. Thank you so very much, Effie. It's a pleasure. (laughs)
2: To connect with Dr. Jolie Hamilton, jump on Instagram at Dr. Jolie underscore Hamilton or TikTok at Dr. Jolie underscore Hamilton. To learn more about her coaching, visit her website, joliehamilton.com. Easiest way to find more Curious Fox episodes on how to manage polymono mismatch, kink, sexual exploration, and how to have difficult conversations is to check out the new episode drop emails from Curious Fox in your inbox where you'll find show notes, links mentioned on the show, along with other episode suggestions that we think you'd love. If you're not getting those emails, you are missing out. So jump on our website, wearecuriousfoxes.com and sign up for the newsletter. And of course, while you're there, check out the blog posts and the resources and the reading list recommendations and more. You can weigh in on this topic or connect with other Foxy listeners by heading to Facebook and join our Facebook group at We Are Curious Foxes. Please, share our podcast with a friend who you think would benefit from hearing it. Quickly rate the show, leave a comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or connect with the show, however it makes sense, on your favorite podcast app. This will take a few minutes of your time and will have a big impact on us. To support the show, join us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash foxes, where you can find mini episodes, podcast extras, and over 50 videos from educator-led workshops, go to patreon.com forward slash wearecuriousfoxes. And let us know that you're listening by sharing a comment, a story, or a question by emailing us or sending us a voice memo to listening at wearcuriousfoxes.com. This episode is produced by Effie Bloom with help from Yamur Arkishem. Our editor is Nina Pollack, who's always aligned with our desires. Our intro music is composed by Dev Saha. We are so grateful for their work and we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not
0: and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends.
2: Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.